Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars dig in to the Revised Common Lectionary text for the upcoming Sunday and share some insights that we bump into along the way and hope this will be helpful to those listening in, uh, equipping for those who might be preparing uh, sermons or teachings for this upcoming Sunday and need a little boost or help or just uh, some edification for yourself or for anyone else who might be listening in. It's not just for pastors, but for anybody who wants to grow closer to God by studying his word. We hope that this hour will be of some benefit and enjoyment for you. I'm your regular host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my guest this week is Aaron Perry, my most regular uh, co-host, the partner that helped me get this thing started just about a year ago. In fact, uh, we actually did our kind of pilot of about seven episodes as a shoulder on his uh, podcast that he runs for the seminary, and then I branched out on on our own this calendar year, 2019. So this is episode 30. So we're past the halfway point, in fact, of this first year of the show in its own independent existence. So this is episode 30, uh, which is concerns week seven after Pentecost uh, for the year C, according to the Revised Common Lectionary. So this is for the text for July 28th, 2019. And the passage is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, a beautiful passage of teachings on prayer by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we hope that you enjoy the show. Well, let's do this. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, the Gospel according to St. Luke, as befits year C in the Revised Common Lectionary. Um, Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 11. Is that for you? Yeah, I have noticed. It's very it's Notice helpful. it's not a good one. Like, these are the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 13. This is uh, for uh, the seventh week of year C. Uh, seventh week of the Sunday Sunday after Pentecost. Yeah, so Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. A little bit about prayer. So hopefully this will be fun. you want to read or you want to pray this week? I will read. Awesome. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. When the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, 
Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There ends today's reading. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. God, we ask these things not only because you've instructed them in general. We ask them in reference to this hour. To this hour of study. We ask that your name would be hallowed and that your kingdom would press in, even as we listen to your word. We ask that we would receive our daily bread, all those who are in need of physical bread, but also the bread of life, the word of God. May we be nourished by it. May this be the daily bread for Aaron and I and all those who listen in. And forgive us, I ask, for the ways that we are not pure and prepared for this task. And please be forgiving to us for the ways in which we stray, even in this hour of study. Surely there will be uh, rabbit trails that glorify you, but there may be some that distract us from you. So Lord, be merciful to us and give us a forgiving heart um, towards each other and towards all the ways of reading. Most of all, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Save us from the time of trial. May we not be tempted to twist your words for our own ends, but may your ends be made known and advanced. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. What jumps out at you this week? Looking at this text. Well, first first verse. It's, yeah. It's very descriptive. One day, a certain place, one of his disciples. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm being ironic, right? It's not yeah. it's not descriptive. It's like it's it's like as generic as you can get. Huh. One day, certain place. One one of his disciples asks, um, but it does introduce us right to the action. Jesus was praying. This isn't this doesn't emerge out of a vacuum. Like that, it's like the context is already that of prayer. Nothing else really matters. Doesn't matter when. Doesn't matter where. Doesn't matter who. The action is what is what yeah. we're already oriented to. It's praying. Yeah, and that, that little twist on that, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Mm-hmm. Like this, of course, isn't the only time when the comparing and contrasting of Jesus and and John shows up. Although I'm not sure how often the disciples 
draw attention to that? I know it's come up from outside voices, you know, Pharisees asking, why don't your disciples fast like John's do? Uh, so, and of course, uh, you know, according to, uh, this may not be relevant for interpreting Luke, although since this prayer appears in, in both Matthew and Luke and, and has some resonances with the, the prayer in John 17, at least historically, there might there's good reason to believe, like it has in John, you know, that first some of Jesus' first disciples were followers of John before him. You know, you see a story like this and you think, okay, this is additional kind of hinting at that, that, mm-hmm. that maybe even some of them, who knows, maybe the one who's asking, again, we don't know, but are kind of like, Hey, when we were back, when we were following John, he had some great stuff on prayer. Uh, <laughs> we haven't heard anything about that from you, man. <laughs> Striking that he answers, of course, you know, cause about 50, if not, uh, I was gonna say 50% of the time, maybe more like 80% of the time, Jesus doesn't give straight answers to mm-hmm. questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although it's usually, maybe that's more when he's talking with Pharisees yeah, or there's a, a twist or a trick to it. Cause it's, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's an honor challenge usually mm-hmm. when these other teachers come with a yeah. question. So he answers a question with a question, but maybe with his own disciples, he's a little, there's, there's some mercy here. Okay. Let me, I'll give well, you some guidance, you know, it, it, even, even interesting how that fits into the spirit of prayer later on as this passage unfolds mm-hmm. that, that <gasps> if you, if you addressing God in this way as, as the father and he loves you as his children, of course, he's going to give you an answer. Of course, he's going to respond respond in a way and so maybe there's a way that if you're truly asking yeah right? <laughs> yeah that because because this has been asked in a genuine in a genuine wow. way that he's modeling he's not just teaching about prayer and he's not just modeling prayers he's also modeling the way that god answers prayer. right boy i never saw it that way it's so funny too because it's like one of my fundamental sort of hermeneutical principles of, of about every sermon i've preached in the last maybe 10 years because I pretty much only preach on prayer. Um, as you know, I don't know if you've ever heard me preach on a sermon. Other, well, you probably heard I've me heard preach you twice. Talk, yeah, I've only right? a few times. But. And I think they're all have been on prayer. Mm. <laughs> Most of my sermons are on prayer. Not all of them, but anyway, I've said it even in my sermons before when I do sermons on prayer, or if I get invited to do a series, I usually do them on prayer. And I'll say this line. Okay, I do this little syllogism. So premise A, um, prayer is talking to God. Right. Premise B, uh, Jesus is God incarnate. Ergo C, every story in the gospels of someone having a conversation with Jesus is a story of prayer. Right. And that's, so I have some of these sermons on prayer where the word prayer doesn't get mentioned. Jesus isn't teaching on prayer, but they're just stories of conversations with Jesus, which any conversation with Jesus is a kind of prayer moment. Hmm. And, Apparently, I missed applying that to this exact passage, so I'm so I'm so glad to be reminded. Actually, I've tended to avoid in my teaching on prayer Jesus' own teachings on prayer, as partially because I kind of like doing the kind of weird thing of doing sermons on prayer on texts that don't seem like they're about prayer, you know. But this conversation with me right with you right now is like really a challenge to like, ooh, that that's. That's just beautiful insight of yours. Uh, this is a long way of giving you a compliment. Well, keep to going. See, <laughs> to see them literally just like doing this thing to him, making a genuine request and him him answering it mm-hmm. so straightforwardly. I, I just think that's, yeah, wow. And how teaching, how, how Jesus' instruction can be seen as burden or task, you know? When 
it's gift, right? They're children asking yeah. their their spiritual father, Jesus, you know, for yeah. bread, and he's giving them bread, mm-hmm. you know. Oh man, that's just I just I can wrap up now. That's great. That just that hits me. That hits me deeply. Hey, you know what else hit me? Yeah. This, this is totally changing su- subject, do. and and uh, it's it's an assumption, but maybe something worthwhile talking about. Uh, I, I just noticed where it says, "Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, "Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him." Now, just immediately on the surface of that, mm-hmm. there's all, there's three characters. There's the person. Yeah. There's the neighbor and there's the friend. Mm-hmm. And he asks for three loaves of bread. And like there's this, there's maybe this implication, like why would you need three specific loaves? Like are you going to oh, have one and cool. a half? Or, or is it kind of this like implicit sense of like invitation in as well, that, that the, the neighbor is being invited in to join with the friend and the, and the late night guest? Um, I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's an interesting detail of for, for three loaves. And I don't know if there's, Something that's obvious that Luke would want us to get, or if it's just like, eh, I just picked a number. You know, there's yeah, eh, it's just maybe three is a common number of sure. loaves of bread that you want. But it's kind of interesting that, that right in that three characters and three loaves of bread, and the sense of hospitality would happen among the three of them. Yeah, and, and that rather that than links, just the, the friend and the midnight guest, right? And that links to sort of another important theme of mine in my in preaching on prayer which is Christ's own prayer life and Christ's own intercession for us, you know, and seeing him as the embodiment of his own teaching first, right. And flowing then from that. So you can, you know, of course this is a, is an invitation for us to be persistent in prayer. Right. But you can hear a possible resonance underneath the surface of Christ's own persistence in prayer on Mm. our behalf. Mm -hmm. Right interceding with the father for our sakes, you know, obviously the language shifts then in the next, because there it's not, there's not the three characters. It's just the father and the child, Mm -hmm. but it's not, but this isn't father child language. This is just, you know, two neighbors and a guest. Mm -hmm. And in that kind of framework, it's like, okay, yeah, we're one, we're the neighbor with the guest in the sense of, you know, learning to be persistent, Mm -hmm. but we could also see it as this hospitality moment of, or the guest that Christ has brought in, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that can get a little silly and I don't think it's, I, I, there's no way, there's no sense in which that's the service meaning, but it's something yeah, to play with, a, yeah. something to play with. Yeah. Well, and the bread stuff, I mean, bread shows up in the prayer. Yep. That's another just kind of, yeah. that, yeah. that is on the surface, right? Yeah. The bread teaching, yeah. three loaves of bread. It's, and it's three artun. It's the same word. Three trace artus, you know? Um, and is there bread then? There's no. bread in the No, it's fish. Fish and right. an egg. Yeah, my bad. Um but again there there is a kind uh, of th- I see what's going on. It's bread in Matthew. That's why we both Okay. <laughs> we had to check. You know. There yeah, go ahead. Uh, there's there's another sense of three though. So you have three loaves of bread, three characters, you've got uh this triad of ask, seek, and knock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at the end you've got this sense of three as well. A request for a fish, request for an egg, and request it for the Holy Spirit. You know, there's, there's, there's a, another, another triad happening, which maybe just reflects Jesus' pattern of thinking. Yeah, just in style, but, memory. Yeah. But it's still worth point, pointing out. We're just making yeah, observations. We're observations so. yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's very good. Yeah, this, uh, I like this, uh, this, this is, this is where, you know, analogies always break down, right? Verse eight, 
it's so funny that he says, you know, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his, because of the, you know, the shame, basically, that he's bringing. How did your translation do it? Because of the man's boldness or boldness, persistence. Persistence. Yeah. So. Well, it's I easier. It's easier. To, you know, it's like whenever your, your kid is asking you for something. Yeah. Like, okay. Just. Either I'm going to have to make this a showdown and, like, get my way, which is probably going to be silly. Because they're going to keep asking for a drink of water at night. Or I can just get up and get it for them and be done with it. It's it's not it's not only that i i i think these translations are maybe a little misleading this is why i was saying it's uh the limits to the metaphor here in terms of how it applies to god right because like you know this word here anaideon is the root word in it is is shame and so it's shameless it's a it's a you know alpha privative so it's it's his shamelessness his shameless persistence, I mean, mm-hmm. would be a way of doing mm-hmm. it, right? It's, it's, it's like, I mean, I get the vibe that like he, he's going to be embarrassed. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's like he made this request, you know what I mean? And he keeps making it or even just by making it. Again, the persistence is, it's possible the persistence part there is not even in the word. It, it's, it's debatable. Just for the thought experiment, let's just take that out of it. It's like to think of it as simply, even though it's at midnight, maybe no one will know the word will get out that he's, he asked for mere three loaves and I wasn't willing to give it to him, even though the ask is kind of shameless. And so not very honorable to wake somebody up at night. It's also a much greater dishonor to not help someone. You know what I mean? The hospitality expectation should probably trump that, you know? So I wonder if, if, Jesus is trying to say that even among humans, just like with the father thing, where it's like even a fa- even a, even earthly father who's not perfect isn't going to feed their kid a scorpion, right? In the same way, even a friend who might not want to do you a favor is going to do you a favor just to not look bad. Hmm. And, and I wonder if it's implicitly a kind of how much more argument, as is the next mm-hmm. one, which is explicit. Here saying. it's implicit. So it's not just like I'm not sure this is just a teaching about persistence. It may also just be a teaching about how even in our brokenness, humans know how to do each other favors. How much more does a perfect father who has everything he needs, you know what I mean, who is not afraid of your shamelessness, Mm -hmm. where there's no economy of honor where he's going to end up looking bad. Is this making sense? So I'm kind of pushing it in another direction. I don't don't think persistence is irrelevant. I just kind of wanted to bracket it out to highlight this other aspect. Yeah, that that the the honor of the other person is going to be on the line. And so not because the other person is a hassle, but out of, out of their own sense of, of honor, they're going to respond to it. Yeah. Uh, Which links to persistence because being too persistent is a kind of obvious shamelessness, which is why the metaphor sticks. Right. There's a way that that those can get lumped together where the fellow who's persisting in prayer considers the dishonor he may have with the neighbor at waking him up at night, not as great as the dishonor he will have with the friend That's right. for whom he has nothing to give. And so there's a way that he's cast his lot on whose honor means more to him. And in this case, <laughs> it's, it's the guest, right? Mm-hmm. Like the guest means more to me than, than you, maybe for a number of reasons. Maybe he has a chance to repair that relationship right. and, and redo the favor to the neighbor much more easily than he does to the guest, right? The guest seems to be this kind of unexpected one who's simply dropping in. Right. That was clear, right? That he's got a one-time chance to get it 
to get it for this this one. Oh, dude, three lows. Oh my goodness, this just popped in my head. Wait, were you leading to something else? Nope. Okay. <laughs> just three loaves, and you just said dropped in one chance to get this right. It made me immediately think of Genesis eighteen nineteen. Yeah. The three. Yeah, three guess. I don't think that's an accident. That's that's the least likely it, to be an accident, just because that's such a famous story. It actually occurred to me earlier, and I mean. Luke, Luke is very much on the, those who are out of the age of bearing children will now bear children, right? With the, uh, right, uh, right out of the gate. Yeah, right out of the gate. The birth of John the Baptist. I mean, his parents, his parents are very much Abraham and Sarah-esque mm-hmm. in, in their, in their having children, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's ways that Luke has already put that story in yeah. mind or has that story in mind. What do you, so why, why talk to us about, about that? How is, how do you see that? Or what what might that mean? I know we're not in the second two section two of the podcast. Yet, no, that's all right. That's all right. Well, what do you think that actually, might mean? Yeah, yeah. So I'll say something, then we'll take a little break and come back. It's only just thinking of this famous story of where the three angels slash kind of God image uh, comes to visit Abraham, and they have their encounter kind of out in the field. And Mamre, I believe, it is, and he mm-hmm. runs in and gets them like a bowl, I believe, and gets them bread. I mean, he feeds them. Mm-hmm. And that's like this key moment of hospitality, mm-hmm. right? And then they suffer great indignity in terms of hospitality then in Sodom that's that right. night, right? Yeah. So this, you, so it's famously a hospitality story and how – and then there's the famous line in Hebrews, some have entertained angels unawares, mm. right? So there's this long-standing love – this this love of that story as kind of like one of the hospitality stories. Do not be careful who you don't welcome in because mm. it might be God, yeah. right? Yeah. Expect to see God in the face of the stranger, right? So with that expectation in the background, then it flips it around because I think we tend to read this passage assuming that the friend, the one who's giving is the God character in the parable because we're allegorizing it. Right. When I think the actual main point is not about God being any of the characters, it's about saying, you know, even humans can give good gifts for bad reasons. All the more does God. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the next story makes that clear, as I Mm -hmm. pointed out earlier. However, if you're going to allegorize it, you could make just as strong a case that God is the friend who dropped in (laughs) or the three friends who dropped in, as it were. Right. That there's this guest and the worst thing you could do is not welcome the guest in that culture and in and all of the more so in terms of the hebrew imagination built on that famous passage from genesis 18 that's my my that's my first run at why yeah that might matter yeah well um, i mean it, it, it's interesting so that setting was at midnight and there's just down to two angels who go to visit lot after they do visit after there's the three you know mysterious three who visit abram you looking for it it's and genesis S- 18 and sarah yeah yeah but then there's only two that go ahead on to visit Lot, and they come in the evening. So there's a similar ah. similar time. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. Please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and go on your way. Anyways, so there's a similar setting of the of the time. The random the visit, visit to, yeah. to Lot. Well, then, then it's at night that they come banging on the doors. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, at midnight like yeah. this in a way, right? Yeah. So or it was earlier in the day that he comes to visit Abraham. I mean, all that is just neither here nor there. It's just 
thinking about this connection. But yeah, at I, least there's these echoes. Uh, yeah, hospitality right? surrounded by hospitality, yeah. and and at least that helps disrupt a quick allegory where we identify God as one of the three characters yeah. in the story. Right? You could see it in multiple directions. But yeah, let's uh, let's take a quick break and come back, and we can keep doing more observations, but start uh, digging in and seeing where we want to head with this. Mm-hmm. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text here with Aaron Perry. And we're looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. You get kind of the Lord's Prayer, uh, a story of a friend at night, midnight, bothering his neighbor. And uh, and then the ask, seek, knock. And a father, you know, if a father, even a father who's evil would know to give children good gifts, not a scorpion, but bread. So, yeah, kind of all teachings on prayer, all in response to the disciples, one of his disciples in a certain place while he was praying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) asking, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So was there another observation you were getting ready to offer there or you got some uh, sort of interpretive hunches you want to play with or just it's just interesting how how Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit at the end. Yeah. As though. Uh, the spirit's been in his mind all the way along, but the reader wouldn't necessarily have thought that at all. It's just kind of like, oh, that's what we're talking about, right? Oh, this is this is us talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I was thinking about this again, this sense of persistence, mm. which we've been trying to complicate for a little bit, not not simply take it face value, but the the final words of of Luke are to stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. <laughs> and so there is a sense of like persisting in the waiting, right? There's there's right. A, there's, a pa- there's a patience in there. That kind of maps or and connects, there's a shamelessness to connects to the persistence. They really are the same thing. You can see how they got connected as words because, I mean, it is a secondary meaning of the term because there's a kind of shamelessness in like waiting on God. Like mm. the, the notion that I expect God to be interested in my little problems or to empower me with his power from on high to mm. do great things, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the good kind of shamelessness, right? The kind of shamelessness that uh, siblings can have with each other. You know, mm. there's, there's things you can ask a sibling, even when you're not getting that along, there are certain things, you know, yeah. or family members as he uses a father and child or lovers, mm. right. In, in nakedness, yeah. right. They, they were naked and not ashamed, right. Adam and Eve. So shamelessness is not always a negative term. It, it's where, where it's the question is where it belongs. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it fits intimacy to have a certain kind of shamelessness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like yesterday, like you were giving a ride to Clara to no to Paul to softball practice. So, you know, fun fact: Aaron and I actually hang out outside of work, but uh, <laughs> but uh, and then Mandy and I were like, "Well, this is his first one. Shouldn't one of us go?" Like one of us wanted to go. We we're like, "Which one was going to go?" And she said, "Actually, I'd really like to go." I'm like, "Oh, that's great. I I want to sit on the porch and read. So that sounds great." And uh, and she was getting ready to grab her cell to text you, like if it's okay if she can hitch a ride too. And I said, "They love room. Just act like it was assumed." <laughs> and it was the shamelessness of friendship. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. At, at a certain point in a friendship, it's actually more awkward to to think you have to check all the time yeah. to just do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, although and it was kind of, te- and, and we test relationships. That was a little test. Mm-hmm. If you guys flipped out, we would have learned, okay, even though we're friends, if you experienced that, if you'd ashamed her a little for 
presuming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that would have been evil. Like that, that would have been, ooh, we misread where the relationship's at, right? I mean, this is the, the way that honor and shame plays out, even in modern relationships. It's, the, it's not the same rules as it is in the ancient world, but it's the same human experience yeah. of you know, how, how much can I presume, mm-hmm. you know? And you don't even call it presumption when it's among friends, mm-hmm. but it's the very kind of thing that you wouldn't do. Like just hop in somebody's car mm-hmm. that you barely know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like whenever you're, you're driving down the road and you, and there's a hitchhiker, there's not much presumption that you'll stop if you don't know the hitchhiker. If the hitchhiker is your neighbor, even yeah. if you don't know their name, still probably going to stop. Yeah. And you'll feel some <laughs> shame yeah, and we call you, it guilt, don't. but it's not just guilt, it's shame. Yeah. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Cause you, even if you, even if you weren't able to pick the person, right, you up, had a good excuse, no you, guilt, you would still feel yeah. a sense of I, embarrassed I need, is I, how we, how we would, that's right. it, I need, right? I need to explain that to them. I need to explain mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. No, we're still neighbors. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to figure out how that ties back into the story here. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. I lost it too. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. <laughs> note, note to preachers in the room. Make sure you've thought through how you're going to get back from your story. When you're... <laughs> Chris, this is prep time. You don't have to know when you're prepping. So who knows? Mm-hmm. No, the connection for me at least had to do with the intimacy and shameless, the shameless persistence of waiting on God to grant us the Holy Spirit, to dare to say that Jesus is not enough and we want his Holy Spirit in us. Like, you know, like you could just, the, the disciples could have just gone around and told the story of Jesus, yeah. right? There's something about the... Again, the oh. good kind of shameless persistence that says, this is what we need. Mm-hmm. We want all of you, God, right? Here, here, There's beauty in that. Here's, you know? here's one way we might, maybe you would possibly test it out, is if we suppose and just put God into the story as the one who is the guest, that the the honor of the guest is worth more to the one being visited than the neighbor's honor is. And so that that's why he's willing to be shameless with his neighbor, mm-hmm. because he's wanting to bestow honor and receive the the honor of the midnight guest. And so we're told there, there's a sense of persistence in this as well, right? Reveal your shamelessness by being persistent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they're told to wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm thinking about this, yeah. this kind of time between times of the resurrection and Jesus telling them to, to wait in Jerusalem. And before I was looking at in Acts and the, the sermon of Peter, uh, it just simply says in those days, right? So there's, there's this feeling of, well, how long? How long do we need to persist? And maybe there's maybe they draw on this story as one of the honor of God is worth more, even more than the the honor of one another in this group. Where where some of us might be starting to wonder, and maybe some of our initial zeal and fervor yeah. is dying down. But we're going to persist, right? We're go, we're going to hold out for the glory of God mm-hmm. because we believe that He will us, right? He will visit yes. upon us, and you know that kind of ties into the end of to the end of Luke where wait until you're clothed with power from on high and clothing being a sense of a bestowal of glory, right? It's a way, yeah. it's a way that the, the honor of the giver is being given to the one who's receiving the, the clothing. So maybe this is a story that they could draw on. It's like, no, 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 like yeah. he, he is coming. And, and we, and you have that sense of it's, it's Luke as well. Right? And even the, after the spirit comes, right. The coming of Christ at the end too, right. There's, there's still waiting involved, right. Even after. But go ahead. What were you saying? Well, I was no. thinking about the uh, parable of the virgins and the oil. Yes, and yes. and and he's going to come, right? Be be prepared because it's going to be, be it's going to be a delayed. You know, it's it's going to happen late, right? The sense of 
the exact God, time God's is unknown. Vi- God's visitation is going to be, it's going to be a late night visitation. It's going to be after youth expect. It's going to be at an inopportune time, like midnight. And so I wonder, there's a, a few ways that I'm kind of playing around with this theme of putting the honor that we might have uh, on the line in order to receive the honor of God, which we do not know is coming, but we believe is. Um, yeah. The willingness to be undignified for the sake of the one from whom your dignity comes, you know, it makes me think of that story in second Samuel where Jesus, where not Jesus, David dances right naked yeah, before yeah. the, <laughs> the ark. And, yeah. and as just was another instance that came to mind of the, you know, whose glory matters to you, all of which directs our eyes back also to just the shame of the cross itself. Right. The, and the greatest prayer of all, right. The, of Christ's own, prayer into your hands, I commit my spirit and his own waiting on God to raise him from the dead. Right. Um, so, I mean, the whole Christian life's built around entering this new economy of glory to use language from an earlier podcast, right. Uh, entering a different kind of honor system where we know where our honor comes from. Mm-hmm. Right. And the way that that gives us courage and fortitude yep. to persist and persevere, even in the midst of the indignities yep. that might come upon us when we choose to be faithful, you know, I, I was thinking of, uh, maybe this illustration ties back in, but we were talking about culture in one of my classes the other day and a fellow was giving the illustration. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was with Harrison Ford who pretends to be Amish and, and mm-hmm. in an Amish community and his witness. There you go. Face, yep. That was the name of it. Is facing this ridicule and finally kind of loses his temper and decks the guy. Right. And, and part of me is like, see, part of me wants to be Harrison Ford. Who like finally like has that Popeye moment? That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And there's a sense of justice that comes with it. But then there's a part of me that wants to be just totally immune to that to that ridicule, which the Amish have developed a culture where they 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 really are in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. They'll they'll risk scorn. They'll risk looks. They'll risk yeah, all kinds the, of he things. He puts the so, ice cream on the cheek. I don't, I've never the seen guy. the movie, so it was, oh, just, it, was, st- it, was oh. it was going back into this economy of glory. Quite an episode. Is that movie. is that yeah. we're we're seeing ways that this brand new culture that Jesus is developing in some ways beautifully stemming out of his Jewish faith. Yes, with lots of ways ste- beautifully stemming out of his, right. out of the Jewish faith, but with some new twists. Yeah, yeah. It, and in the economy of of glory for the Father, that that whose honor will we seek? Will we wait for the honor of the Father even in the time before it's clearly seen? And I flipped ahead, and I'm and now I'm reflecting on Luke 18. Well, kind of kind of cheated, but I like it. Uh, Luke 18, the parable of the the widow who keeps going to the judge yes. over and over and yes. over again. Yes. There's some definite echoes here. Yes. There's some definite ways that this is that one. God the is, not the is explicit, right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but again, it's a sense. It's a sense of waiting as well. The unjust judge will eventually give again limits to the analogy. God is not the unjust. God is not judge, no right. How no. much more will a just judge yeah. like our father? Yeah, right? the, it, the, kind of similar here. It's what like, verse is that, by the way? Uh, Eighteen, 18. 1 to eight. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, um, I cut you off. Um, yeah, it, I mean, similarly back to here is like, well, God is not like fathers, and yet fathers know this much. God is not like this unjust judge, but yet this judge is is still going to act in a certain way because of human nature mm-hmm. and the words that that jesus finished up with will not god bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night will mm-hmm. he keep putting them off i tell you he will see that that they get justice and quickly 
However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is kind of like putting back is like, will he find the, the guest who comes back to visit? Will he find there being faith? Because he's put his hope in God. God is going to respond with justice. God is, is not going to keep putting off this justice. He will validate those who have faith in him. But will God in Christ find faith here while he comes to visit us? Which, which leads me back to think, uh, man, I really want to think about this story of the midnight friend as the visitation of Jesus in some ways. Mm-hmm. The, the friend showing up is is in some ways Christ seeing, will he find faith? Will he find those who are prepped for his return? And clearly in many ways he hasn't, but who's going to be willing to persist? Who will put yeah. their honor on the line to honor him by being shameless with their neighbor? Yeah. You know? You know? Anyway, that was what it was. Oh, that's there, so much fun. There's some parallels yeah. to these, no, to these so much fun. teachings on a kind of prayer. Yeah, and the, this theme is of persistence, of waiting, yeah. of hospitality, of welcome. And yeah, and it's it's so funny. It's like we – I guess uh, this is making me raise a kind of interpretive, you know, theological question is – is is the way that Luke has kind of slipped the Holy Spirit in here at the last line, right? Mm-hmm. That I, it's making me raise the question of like, do we persist in order to receive the Spirit, which is the picture I get here, right? But then that makes me wonder about flipping that as well, as you might see in other passages, right? That it's the Spirit that gives us the confidence to persist, right? So I, I think in Paul. You really get this theme, right, in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, that it's by the Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not saying this is a contradiction, although maybe it is for fun, but uh, but kind of raising this kind of like, on the one hand, you have this kind of Pauline teaching, we could say, of the Spirit as the the means through which we have this kind of shameless persistence before God in prayer, right? Whereas this, you have these Lucan teachings because I don't want to make it Jesus versus Paul. So I'm going to, because yeah, I think right, it's two right. ways of speaking yeah. of Jesus and, and his role in our life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's the spirit who's uniting us with Christ and his sonship, according to Paul, that makes it. Yeah. Uh, by whom we cry out, Abba father, yeah. Abba father, just as he did. in <laughs> right. Right. Just as he instructed and just as he did in the garden. Right. But, uh, so you have this Luke in teaching though, that no being persistent Oh, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> being persistent is, you know, the means to receiving the spirit. I, I don't, I actually don't think I have a very, I don't have far to go on that question. I, I just, I mostly just find it interesting. Yep. Um, unless you had a, yep. some thoughts about it. No, I don't I have think, a, I don't have an answer to I, how to reconcile them. Maybe I, I wouldn't need to at the end of the day. No, I, I don't think you do. I mean, it, it's the, the very fact that we want to pray in the first place is evidence of humility, which is comes from God, right? We, right? we are not humble without without the grace of God. We are we're turned inwards without God's grace. And so the desire to pray is already a sense of, of humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Spirit's already at work. And similarly, the end of our prayer is always the presence of God, even if, mm-hmm. we, even if we don't know it, right? Even, right? even if we don't yet understand that the baseline desire we've got in our prayer is God. Then it starts with God, and it, it ends, and it, end, and it ends and it ends in good. God, which I think is the is the way when you think about prayer that 
prayer is already happening in God, right? God, God is in mm-hmm. a sense is is always a conversation within within Himself, mm-hmm. and so when we pray, we're only brought up into the conversation that's already happening in God, and that's so it's right. like this. This is a way of the spirit. It, it's like th- it's like Jesus explained. This is this is how you get caught up into the conversation I'm having. That's right. Already, it's like, and the very fact that you're asking is sign of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, the very fact that you're asking is sign of the Holy Spirit, and that's why I'll, that's why I'll answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's why I'll answer you. Well, you, you are... get such a straight answer yeah. again, somewhat uncharacteristic. This is, this is prayed. This is asked yeah. in accordance with the spirit. Yeah. yeah. So it comes from the spirit toward the spirit. the The accent is on toward the spirit in the Lucan teaching here. The accent's on from the spirit in the Pauline teaching, but we don't have to think of that as. And yeah. but that's re- relevant though when you preach. You know, you tend to want to lean towards the text in front of you, right? Yeah. So, and it's interesting. I think that Luke. Ends with spirit here. I've got my synopsis out as I usually do. And this is one of the differences between Luke and Matthew on this teaching, on the Ask, Seek, Knock passage. Matthew just ends with, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Hmm. Right. Whereas Luke says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Holy Spirit Spirit to those who ask him? Very interesting change. You know, there's a lot of cases where they have these shared texts that aren't in Mark like this, right? This is what's often called Q. Whether you call it Q or not doesn't matter. And there's a general rule of thumb based on study, and I've confirmed this in my own work, that you generally, general rule of thumb, Luke tends to be, if there's a common source here, Luke tends to be closer to it. Matthew tends to be more editorial. Having said that, there are moments when it's obvious that Luke's doing something very Lukey. Right. This might be one of those. Mm. Right. Because the simple statement, how much more will your father give good things? That's that seems more. That's the simpler, older one. Right. Whereas the Holy Spirit, it sticks out like a sore thumb when Mm. you see it next to the Matthew version and seems very Lukeish. Right. Luke always is putting references to Holy Spirit in passages that Matthew and Mark don't. Mm. And this makes me then think of even Johannine Jesus teaching the farewell address. That's all about the Holy Spirit who helps us in the face of persecution, right? And suffering, Mm. which is related then to this indignity and shamelessness that we were talking about earlier, right? That, that he's saying like, not just that the father will do you personal favors, right? No, specifically, you know, when you need the Holy spirit, which then is relevant. It's not saying they don't have the Holy spirit, although here they're still waiting. So like you said earlier, in the story world of Luke, this is still, they, they're still waiting for the spirit, but for the audience of Luke, both his original audience and us now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The Holy spirit would be perceived as something already given. Right. And so what does it mean to be looking for the spirit? Well, we don't just have the spirit in us. Sometimes we have the spirit on us, right? Mm-hmm. We need the spirit on us for moments of witness, martyrdom, you know, when we're being challenged, when we're dragged before the courts, the spirit will be with you to give you what to say, you know? And it's not like Christians who are already indwelt by the spirit, by their faith, right? You can't say Jesus is Lord without the spirit. Nevertheless, we sing songs all the time, come Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And we don't mean because the spirit's not here. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I use the language in on to highlight that, right? Spirit's always in us, but spirit still comes on us, sometimes in unique ways mm-hmm. for unique tasks mm-hmm. or for distinct challenges that that just kind of for me at least stirred up a little bit of thinking about the luke's maybe wanting to focus in on the spirit and therefore maybe that highlights a bit of the temptation and the challenge that we face you know uh my mind was drawn back to the baptism of jesus in luke mm-hmm. uh which we've talked about 
on another episode. Mm-hmm. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, he- <laughs> heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son yes. whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. So there's this prayer. Holy Spirit and the Father, and prayers are mentioned in the other baptisms. Correct. I was getting ready to say that too. That, that's <laughs> prayer unique and to spirit. That, that's unique. To Again, Luke. Matthew. Another another change. Matthew, Luke here. Really, this is confirming what you just said. The very opening. Matthew has the Lord's Prayer embedded, as well as the Ask, Seek, Knock material, is embedded in his Sermon on the Mount. Right. Luke, and he doesn't have this little story. Teach us to pray. That's only in Luke. Okay. Right. So there's another. So again, in prayer, your regular, the word prayer appears way more times in Luke than in the other gospels. Jesus is regularly seeing pray much more often in Luke than the others. And um, the language of the spirit is inserted in Luke in ways. So there's a close connection between prayer and spirit that I think you were highlighting that I say that I was wanting to highlight to say that that's playing out in this passage as well. Although then that raises funny questions about some of the things that aren't in Luke's uh, Lord's Prayer here that we haven't talked about yet that maybe we won't talk about. But (laughs) yeah, where's where's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? (laughs) I just think that's funny. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's a much simplified version, right? It's not – I mean that is – at times Matthew does add stylistic things to to flesh out what is otherwise embedded. You know, it's like, well, of course, this is is just – he'll flesh out a theology that's implicit uh, that I I think he thinks is already there. He'll just make it more clear to us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's interesting that this I'm, I'm seeing, you know, going back to read this all with the spirit in mind is, is a, is a really helpful exercise Mm. and thinking about the spirit being the evidence of God's honor given to Mm -hmm. us. Wait, wait for the, the spirit, right. For power to come that you'll close with power from on high, the end of Luke. Uh, this this kind of waiting in between times. I mean, this this whole sense of acts where they're seeing a reality that other people aren't aren't seeing. You know, and living by a living with a new set of uh, social rules mm-hmm. uh, to one another. I, I mean, that's that's really very interesting to me. And to see it grounded back maybe in in the baptism, right? Jesus is praying in that moment when the Spirit comes on, um, comes upon him, which the other gospels don't. Uh, I can feel a classic Aaron Perry sermon coming where you preach the whole Luke Acts (laughs) with reference to three verses. Hey, man. Yeah. I like that kind of preaching. (laughs) Our people need it. Yeah. Because they don't read read like that. But we can can teach them to read like that. And sometimes that whets the appetite. You know? Like we've got people in our churches who read the Bible devotionally. You know, they'll read it. Like we started with like, I'm going to read just these. a section. Yeah. Right. I'm going to read this section. And that's great. And and go for it. But we want to try and enrich it by showing like there's there's more to this yeah. whenever you see it in the wider scope of the book. And there's more to the book when you see it in the wider scope of scripture. The so, whole canon, right? so Zechariah and Elizabeth has Abraham and Sarah echoes. And maybe this has echoes of the three visitors at, at Marm. That's so Mama. funny. Like that's exactly how I interpret it. And I tend to almost never do it when I preach though. Hmm. By the time I get back to my sermon... It's kind of like for me, the observation, interpretation, like when I get back to the sermon writing, I tend to then just, that's all kind of background noise. And I make maybe subtle allusions to it in my sermons. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying it's a a, a tendency, Mm -hmm. uh, a difference in style. You know what I mean? Is I tend to be real, just verse, verse, verse. And and it's all feeding into the way I read, but then I just stick right to it. I tend to be a, I I, I I remember my, I had a professor in, 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 seminary kind of called out the problem of being 
over pericopized, you know, so pericope is this term that gets used for a, a chunk of from the from the gospel, right? These standalone little stories. Yeah. And he was saying how like, no, sometimes you got to read the whole book. You know what I mean? Like where he yeah. would talk about words, he would do word studies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a theology professor and he would have word study lectures that would just all be around how one word's used across the New Testament and the range of meaning and stuff like that yep. as a starting point for dogmatics. And he was saying how that's, it's essential to break out of the boundaries of these tiny little pericopes. So I've always felt kind of challenged on that and it's definitely affected my study. I don't know if it's played out in my preaching and I love, and I've seen you do it. I love the way you do it where you'll preach on one little text and it'll have like all these connections to the whole book. And I just think it's really cool. And I want to like learn how to do it. <laughs> I want to sit at your feet. And, <laughs> although it's okay to know your style too. You know yeah, what I mean? It's okay yeah. to be, I, I so. One, it was a homiletical plot by Eugene, yeah. Eugene Lowry that always let me into that is, is just this very simple maneuver is like, don't always give your people the answers. Give, yeah. give them the questions that you ask. Yeah. And some of the false starts, like it's, it's sometimes oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, and this made me think of this and I tracked down it and it really yeah. wasn't there. And it made me think of this. And I tracked down yeah. it and it wasn't there because then you're letting him into the, like, Oh, when you find it, yeah. Like, oh, that made that. That was better than the stuff I had to reject. Going, doing the hard work of exegesis, doing the hard work of the the spade work of the word studies. Like, oh, I wanted to, I wanted there to be something here. There wasn't. And I wanted to read something here, and there wasn't. But I mm. think there is something here, and how that unfolds, and and how it, that's even richer than what it was that you set aside. When I when I realized, like, oh, some people really want to like go that journey in the sermon as well. They don't just they don't just want the final product. They want the the behind the scenes look. That that really revolutionized preaching for me. Yeah, that's really good. Well, we're already getting into the preaching practice and we don't have a ton of time left, but let's take a quick break and come back and just have a few last words uh with some homiletical ideas going. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Aaron Perry, and I'm your host, John Drury. And we're looking at Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 13. Uh, you seem to jump there when I said, and we're back. Was it a little loud? Uh, no, it's just, it's just funny. It's like, it's like, hey, you know, that, that's the signal. Like, yeah, and we're back. We're back. Wake up, Aaron. Uh, he gets a little nap there on the break. but Yeah, so we've, uh, we're coming up on the uh, kind of third final section here. Might be a little briefer today. Um, well, we were already going into some meta stuff about sermon writing already uh, towards the end of the second um, section today. Um, but yeah, where where would you head here? Uh, I mean, let me let me let me focus that question a little bit. And if you don't have the answer straight away, it's okay. You can get there indirectly if you already have a winkle yep. or winkle, an angle. <laughs> There's really three, maybe four, sort of pericopes here. And even though obviously we put them in the context, even of the whole book. And the double book, as you would, Luke and Acts. Where do you where do you sense that you'd be kind of taking as your jumping point? Is it the Lord's Prayer part more, the inopportune friend, or this kind of ask, seek, knock, and father? Uh, yeah, the imagery of the father there. Because um, uh, our conversation went in all those directions. Yeah. And obviously, it's one block of teaching, but... I, I would really key into verses five through eight. That's really striking okay, that, me. Okay, that drew you in. Yeah. Our conversation and, really started there too. Yeah. That, and, and to, to point, uh, I think it is clearly that we are, we are, 
I mean, he says, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. You know, you're, you're put in the, in the spot of making a choice. So that, mm. that is clearly directed towards us. And I, I think I would like to, to tease out and flesh out God as the unexpected guest and, and how that works really into, uh, at times we are going to have, Things requested and required of us to honor God that will make us frustrating and dishonorable to to others. Mm. And there's an implicit sense of grace that they also are invited in. And so I'm doing a bit of eisegesis here. Like you could you could key on the three loaves. That one of those loaves is for the person who's being put out in this moment. And I think I might I would try and tie some themes together there. I'd I'd try and work in some a sense even of evangelism. You know, there's some evangelism there that that I think would be uh, maybe not specifically in the text, but it's not contrary to it. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly faithful to the spirit of evangelism that, that Luke has, that the, the as the Christians will be honorable and faithful to Christ, they will be dishonored by the world. And it's for the world's benefit that they're risking being dishonored. I think that is definitely a theme that you can track with through Acts. So it's it's faithful to Luke's theology. I think there'd be a lot of fun. And you could and you could tie some of that back into this notion of visitation, which is something I've really wanted to write on for a while. Okay. Is, is a, is a, a theology of visitation, right? What what is uh, happening when, when God comes to us unaware? What is happening when the yes. pastor goes and is in the presence of another? And there's a way that you could delve into that here. What's happening when Jesus comes to us unaware? If you paint him as that character. It, and and I think that there's some ways that uh, I'd like to look at that story with that in mind and kind of invite people into that that story world for a second that we'd have to, you know, it's it's not a, there's some playing that's happening with the text, but I think it's faithful to it as well. Yeah, well, actually, it's, it, it occurs to me now that sometimes the, the technique, not only hermeneutically, but homiletically, not just in interpreting, but in actually preaching the text to others, your choice to kind of make connections to the rest of the book actually gives you some guardrails to yeah. be more playful with the pericope right in front of you. Yeah. yeah you're not <laughs> that just build- occurred to me. You're not building a huge doctrine out of it. You're just saying like, it kind of leans on it in this way. And these other things. Yeah. And since it fits the spirit of the rest of this yeah. book, it's okay if it's a little yeah. off center to the, to the one, the text at hand. That's, that's, that's a nice, that gives some permission, I think, to the preacher. I had that comment and then two others about your idea. And then I was going to pitch something and then we'll roll. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention the, uh, I was trying to find the angels unawares reference in the book of Hebrews. Where is it? Here it is. Yeah. So it's Hebrews 13 two. You definitely would want to throw that quote in there. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. I just think that's such a cool mm-hmm. quote that kind of captures, I think, some of what you're talking about and confirmation that the New Testament writers had that passage, you know, kind of echoing. So I wanted to mention that. And what was mm. the other thing I wanted to mention? Oh, just a quick confirmation. I had said this earlier, although it was, I suppose, implicit in our conversation, that this story only appears in Luke, the 11, 5 through 8. So in terms of doing a Luke-specific sermon, hmm. it makes total sense to zoom in on that one within this chunk. So the material before and after, the Lord's Prayer material and the ask, seek, knock, father asks, you know, his son asks for a fish. That's yeah. all That's all in Matthew as well. Wow. So this is all, quote, Q material that Luke has and Matthew have appropriated in different ways and located at very different parts of the story. But Luke then has this unique parable. And of course, Luke has... Uh, 
an abundance of parables found only in Luke, and this would be among them. I can't remember off the top of my head if the persistent window is only, widow is only in Luke, but um, my well, we'll find out when we get there. That's later. <laughs> we'll find that out in a month or two. Uh, stale text. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to mention that as as additional background information for you or yeah. for anyone who's listening in on how they might, if they want to write a sermon on Luke eleven five through eight. You really, actually, you'd be appropriate kind of pulling that out and focusing on it because mm. it is kind of a, a Luke. Unique to Luke story um, and a really beautiful, fun one. I just had one uh, kind of random idea is, yeah. is it's just about, it's, it's completely not something we talked about. Oh, well, we did right at the beginning and, but we can come back to it. Um, and actually, and you really helped me develop one theme of it indirectly. Sorry, that was all introductory. I haven't said my idea yet. I always do this to my wife. She just goes, okay, say it enough caveats, say it. It's just this, the actual narrative of the teaching. I almost want to zoom in on that entirely in verse one, just this Hmm. picture. And this is probably my just kind of Ignatian approaches that are affecting me here, but just to picture the disciple, like one of the disciples coming up to Jesus, maybe a little sheepishly and asking Lord, teach us to pray and to talk about the desire to pray. Mm. Right. And this is then your, thing that I learned from you to think of how the spirit's kind of maybe driving this whole passage up to the end. Right. Right. That it's the spirit that moved the disciple to want to pray. And it's the spirit that convicted the disciple. that They didn't know how to pray. Mm. And it's the spirit that moved the disciple again, unawares to ask the right person, mm. how to pray and Jesus in his compassion. And I would like to highlight, cause I, I like to talk about how Jesus answers questions weirdly, you know, that Jesus almost uncharacteristically gives a super straight answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, he sees that and he's practicing the giving of fish to the, to the, to the yeah. child who asks for it. He's embodying the ask. So really kind of focusing on the narrative context of the teaching and then drawing on the teaching to then explore that. That's like, I think it'd be, that's where I'd want to kind of go. And then this kind of last, both exciting yet ominous promise that the father's going to give the spirit to you because uh, he's got big plans for you. Oh, <laughs> it's such, it's such an know? invitation in yeah. that it's the, it's the specific act of praying in nondescript time, place, and identity, which it means like it's at yeah, any time. I would steal that move from you. At yeah. any time, in any place, to anyone, prayer is the key, right? And this, and, and what does that mm-hmm. mean? But I mean, that's such an invitation to preach this to anybody and, and to examine, is the spirit stirring in you because the spirit is stirring in you for more of him? Yeah. You know? And you could even start at the end. You could come back to that when he was praying and when he ceased one of his disciples asked him to kind of stop and say, do you sense you don't desire to pray? Well, for now, two things. One, rely on Jesus because he's already praying Mm. for you and in your place and for your sake Mm -hmm. and for the world and watch him pray Mm. until you, until you want to pray, watch him pray. You know, like in Gethsemane, you sit here while I pray, right? (laughs) Watch him pray and see if watching him pray stirs in you a desire to join him. Mm-hmm. And when that desire kicks in, then ask him to show you how. Mm. And in the meantime, pray the Lord's Prayer. 
even if you don't feel yeah. it. It's a good substitute for when you don't have the words. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, again, this is a nice Paul Luke thing, right? Paul's basically like, when you don't know how to pray, the spirit will pray with groans, right? And, and Luke's basically saying, when you don't know how to pray, here's some specific things to pray. Yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. both true. They're both yeah. true. Yeah. We pray with words and we pray beyond words. Yeah. We pray with the word and we pray in the spirit. Yeah. And there's the Trinitarian structure of it all. Can I can I show how that kind of connects back Please up with do. eleven five to eight? To is it, it's kind of like speaking to the person who is uh, sensing Jesus is visiting them and how they want to honor him. They yeah. want to provide. They want to get bread. And then the others who don't yet have this desire to pray, it's like they're in the position of the neighbor. And it's like sub- submit right. to the one who's got more, who gets honor right. Submit, submit to the honor of the one who wants to honor God and, and learn from them. And maybe in so doing, find yourself brought into That's the hospitality and the fellowship. Like there's ways that you could even connect it, connect that to, to them. Well, my loosest connection was to the 11, five through eight part in that mind, all the, you know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. So then that fits, that's, right that fits right in. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a uh, poem. All right. <laughs> so I'll read this and then, uh, yeah, we'll uh, say goodbye. This is a poem. Again, it's based on the Gethsemane moment. Sit here while I pray. Mark 14 says, Christ comes to me in my lethargy to say, You sit here while I pray. When you cannot pray, Christ in you will pray. Weary soul, know this well. Merely your desire to pray is already prayer. Mm. It's that line. Merely your desire to pray is already prayer. And I see that in this unnamed character here. Mm-hmm. desiring to pray and unwittingly praying <laughs> to the one who has not yet been fully revealed as God himself. And therefore the one who <laughs> mm-hmm. is in fact a proper object of prayer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks so much for taking the time. I always have a blast with you doing this. Um, got anything to plug? This is, this is going to drop in July. So we're working ahead here. So um Demon will already be closed by then. But you got some anything coming up in uh, July, August, September that's just worth drawing attention to? Uh, keep on checking out the West Seminary podcast. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what might be dropping in July, but we've got some great episodes right now on Ministry with the Aging. That was really good. This is inspiring me to do an episode on prayer, find yeah. somebody to talk about prayer. But we've got I we're hitting some really good really good numbers and finding some people good. that are really interested in what we're doing. So keep checking out the West Seminary podcast. Yeah. Great pod. Cool, man. Great. Well, let's see. I guess if it's July. Yeah. Well, if any of you are listening, this is not a, this is not a Wesley Seminary uh, sponsored pod, although uh, I work there. Aaron works there and a lot of our guests work there. And since it is a good time of the year, if you want to go to seminary, August is a great time to start. We always start a bunch of new yeah. MDiv and MA programs in, in August. So sign on up and uh and september if august is just a little that's bit right soon, i think september there's a second too. one in september right yeah. that's right yeah thanks for that yeah and i got something i i got a i got an essay due in august i don't know how quickly the book will come out academics we take forever so the book might not come out till winter there's gonna be a book coming out on uh methodist christology or wesleyan christology something like that a lot of essays and i'm gonna have an article in that great so that's kind of the next thing that's coming out for me 
I don't know if anyone would possibly want to read it. Uh, it'll be pretty technical, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know, when we're plugging stuff, might as well plug. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll add it too. And I've said this before, but Eugene Lowry was really helpful for me. I wrote a few sermons in the homiletical plot style mm-hmm. and listeners who are interested, if they email me, I'll send them a coupon code. I don't know how many are left, but we got a number from the seminary that they're giving away. So I'd be glad okay. to send them a coupon code. So of free, your, uh... free resource of, uh, from Seedbed called putting the plot back in preaching. Mm-hmm. So awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Aaron. I want to say a big thank you to uh, Eric Fisher for his production work. Todd Bichon helps out as well with that. Um, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating our theme music. And yeah, so those are the big thank yous. Uh, everyone who's listening in, please uh, make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast app you use and get the word out on your social medias and all that business. Appreciate so much you listening and would love for your friends to find out about what we're doing here. So having said all that, we'll say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.